That's right. You're listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse, the latest news, views, and opinions on Windsor and Essex County. We remind you that the views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the co-hosts and do not reflect the views of any media outlets or any political parties. We're recording on Tuesday, August 31st, 2021 at 5.15 p.m. Please remember to like our Facebook page, subscribe to the podcast and your favorite podcast app. That being said, my name is Dave Sandin. I'm joined remotely by Al Tashuba and Daniel Abloser and Christine Brooks. And uh, we are now uh, about halfway or so into this election campaign. The election is September 20th. So what do we have, 20 days to go? And so what we're going to do for the first half of the show tonight is have a general discussion on the state of the national race. And then we'll talk about the state of the local three races. So, uh, so I guess where it seems to be based on the polling in the first two, two and a half weeks of this campaign is that the conservatives seem to have surged to a bit of a lead in the national polls. Um, now, of course, it is important to remember that two years ago, the conservatives actually had more votes than the liberals by about 1%. That didn't translate into a number of seats victory, but we're now seeing numbers that seem to be showing that the, uh, well, we're probably still maybe within the margin of error. The conservatives seem to be polling ahead by, in most polls, a point or two. Some cases, there's been a wider spread. I've seen as high as seven or eight points. Um, Although in the last day or two, it seems like maybe that's trending back specifically in Ontario. So that's where the polling seems to be. Let's go around the horn and let's discuss where we see this race on a national picture and what you guys have picked up on for the first two, two and a half weeks of the campaign. So Al, I'm going to start with you. You are the, uh, you're the resident conservative riding association chair. So we're going to start with you on this. Where are we at? Well, I could tell you that the normal tactics that are put on conservative leaders are not working on Aaron O'Toole. It's that simple. He's not scary. He's not the boogeyman. He's not uh, some secret plan. That's all old news. It's not going to work. It's not going to work on Aaron O'Toole. The guy is brilliant. He sees the landmines, even on the questions where, where he sees where things are going. He doesn't fall into the traps. Okay, he's likable. He's personable. He's a compassionate conservative. This is exactly what I predicted weeks ago when I said that the underestimation of Aaron O'Toole is going to be the reason why the conservatives win, because that's not factored in yet. And generally speaking, across Canadian politics, maybe not so much in Windsor, but primarily it goes leader, party, candidate. You vote for the leader first. Who will be prime minister? Who do you like first? Look at Jack Layton. He carried the NDP on his back, becoming you know official leader of the opposition uh, with a very strong opposition uh, amount. Uh, when was it? Uh, you know, just before he passed away. And this is when Harper had a majority. The, the NDP were a strong opposition party. Um, you know, he was in Stornway. This is this is what leaders do. So Aaron O'Toole is is. You look at the leadership polls, he's right there, and he was pretty well unknown to many people about a month ago. The, the other aspect is the Conservative Party's laying out brilliant, brilliant platform that, that follows along all, transcends party politics, you know, from uh, pension security for workers, for the, uh, the dogs, uh, for the illegal uh, puppy mills, to reasonable issues that deal with how to handle housing and He's not even talking cutting uh, cutting taxes or balancing the budget immediately, which normally be conservative, fiscal conservative thing. Those are on the back burner. He's talking about genuine 
things that people are at the thing. It is absolutely brilliant. If it stays like this, I think it's the Conservative Party's election to lose, and they could just coast, make no mistakes. They should win it. So, Christine, what about you? Where do you see us uh, two, two and a half weeks into this election? Well, I, I'm uh, already more optimistic than I was at the beginning in terms of uh, the Conservative Party really making uh, uh, a headway and then bringing that gap that existed at the beginning of the election period is really becoming uh, much smaller now. And so I'm, I'm rather uh, excited. I think that uh, it will, I think, uh, be a, a, again, a time where people are really reflecting what it is they want a post pandemic. And I think the uh, Canadian, Canadian people will see that the conservative platform is a very reasonable one and one that is most exciting for people who believe that people should be making decisions about their future. And what I mean by this is that um, uh, the Liberal and the uh, NDP government, the Green Party as well, of course, um, really want big government. And big government is, uh, would be a blight, to be quite honest. And uh, I think that post uh, we have seen what people are able to do uh, in, in tandem with a core uh, government. And that's what we've seen during the pandemic. And I think post-pandemic, we need to rein in the, um, the expenses and expenditures. And as Al said, Erin um, O'Toole is seeing really, uh, you know, to repay and to have a balanced budget, but not immediately, within 10 years, a decade. But the other, the other uh, parties are projecting a half century of debt, and there's no reason for that. That is uh, obscene, obscene. And so I'm very excited because I think people will see that, uh, in fact, for many, many things, it's a whole way of looking at how the future unfolds. It has to do with keeping people free to have businesses and to uh, change uh, uh, you know, their, their, um, uh, their venues over life and everything about big government is, is really to be avoided. Dave, your thoughts on where we stand at this point? It's not looking great for the, uh, the governing liberals right now. Um, I've been following the polls closely and, and there's been nothing major in the news to, to, you know, indicate why it's swinging one way or the other. I think the conservatives are doing a very good job of running a, a centrist campaign that's not rocking the boat, nothing scary in their platform, nothing scary in their messaging. Um, and it's been quiet and competent. I, I shared a, um, a news story with you guys last week about, you know, Aaron O'Toole setting up shop in Ottawa and doing these these big call-outs to different regions, and, and the Conservatives seem to really be, you know, doing the job of gathering data, too, which concerns me for the, the get-out-the-vote, which uh, they might uh, uh, spank everyone else on as far as getting the vote out. Uh, when we started this campaign, the Liberals had a sizable lead in British Columbia. They're now in third in British Columbia. They had a massive lead in Ontario. They're now neck-and-neck neck with the Tories. They had a good lead in Atlantic Canada, which is quickly slipping. Um, even the block is gaining on them in Quebec. So there's no region of the country where things are looking good for the Liberals. Even in the prairies in Alberta, at the beginning of the campaign, they were polling second, projected to pick up seats in, in Alberta and the prairies. 
they're now running a distant third to the NDP in both of those, those regions. So there's really no good news rate for the Liberals. It's not too late for the, um, the campaign to be righted and, and for, for the Liberals to, to, uh, to stop the slide and start to, to gain in the polls again. But with three weeks left uh, before Election Day, as of us taping, with three weeks left to go and advanced polls only happening in, in a, a week and a half from now, um, things are starting to look pretty bad. So the Liberals need to get their act together and get together soon or else they're going to be sitting in opposition. Now, as you mentioned earlier, Daniel, last election go around, the, the Conservatives did win the uh, the popular vote, but still come up short in the seat count. The same could very well happen again. Um, I think the, the Liberal vote's more efficient. They're more likely to win um, ridings by small margins, where the Tories will, will blow out uh, ridings in Alberta and, and the West in particular. Um, so we blow conservative wins, so you'll see a lot of, of wasted votes there that um, drive up the popular vote number, but don't really increase the seats at all. So is that going for them? The other thing that, that might help the Liberals, and I guess we'll have to wait and see how this all plays out election day, is the fact that um, in Alberta, in particular in the prairies, um, the other vote is quite high according to polls. And, and there's you know, rumors that the PPC is picking up supporters there. Uh, I know driving around Windsor, I see a lot of PPC signs. The question becomes, um, will Aaron O'Toole's decision go to the center, which I think is a smart play? Does his decision go to the center result in him losing some of his, his uh, further right-leaning support saying, forget it, we're not voting at all, or we're voting for the PPC, and does that hurt the, the Tories' chances on election day? So that's my, my two cents for now, to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I, I think I agree with a lot of what all of you said. I, I think that the national liberal campaign so far has been, it just hasn't caught anyone's attention. There hasn't been a theme to it. They still are struggling with sort of the why. I actually have a bit of a theory that because they've been in power for six years, the original team of staffers, the war room group that came in with uh, Trudeau, a lot of them, the, the more talented people have frankly all now gone and gotten jobs in industry. And so you just don't have a lot of that ta talent there. And so you have newer people. You know, I, I think there's nothing more telling about this election than as I scroll down my Twitter feed to see election news, I'm seeing uh, Jerry Butts tweeting uh, selfies of himself sitting on the cliffs in Cape Breton. I mean, that that he was the most talented person running the show for the Liberals, um, at least in terms of the strategy, if not the operations in 20, uh, what was it, 2015. And we just simply haven't really seen that connection here. So I, I think that the campaign is struggling. It's certainly not over. There's a long way to go. I think that it's possible the Conservatives have peaked too soon. Um, but, um, you know, it, it is something that I, I don't know, you know, I, I haven't seen that excitement around the Liberal campaigns. In fact, I think that what we're seeing a lot of them is with some of the sort of national anger at Trudeau, both sort of some of the right-wing anger, but some of just sort of the more moderate, like, you know, some of the more moderate anger of this guy's been in government for six years and I'm not satisfied or some of the scandals. There seems to be, you know, whereas in 2015, Trudeau carried a bunch of nobodies on his back to victory. I think now some of the local campaigns really have to carry the, uh, have to carry it and win maybe despite Trudeau rather than because of Trudeau. So that, that I think is an interesting feature of this race. The other thing that I think is going to be very interesting to watch is that PPC vote. And I, I think that that might be the biggest threat to the Conservatives right now. I mean, there's a lot of ridings, it's not going to matter. Um, but, you know, I look at a place and we'll talk, we'll talk about the local races in a bit, but I look at a place like Essex, if, uh, if the PPC hauls in 6% of the votes there, 
uh, Chris Lewis could be in some trouble. So, um, so I, I think that ultimately where this election is shaping up right now is that last week of the campaign, we're going to hear the liberals screaming, you know, a, a vote for the NDP is a vote for the conservatives. And we're going to hear the conservatives screaming, you, you know, gee, we are the chance for you, you PPC people. We understand what you're upset about, but if you want, if you hate Trudeau more than you hate, you know, lockdowns or hate us, you got to come home and vote for us. And the, the party that does better than of, of those two between the liberals bringing sort of left, far to the left progressives and, you know, natural NDP voters and the conservatives bringing these sort of more far right wing PPC voters um, home to the bigger parties. I think that's where this election is coming down to. So Al, you, you wanted to add something? Well, two things. One, you mentioned 2015. Trudeau in 2015 was behind up to about two weeks before the election. And Thomas Mulcair basically had signs that said, stop Harper and said, do you really want someone to be prime minister forever? And prime minister Harper, no one criticized that he did a very good job on the economy and leadership around the world and so forth. And basically came down to is 10 years too long for prime minister. Had he announced that he might have stepped down or not been party leader, maybe on July 2nd, 2017, about you know a year and a half later, people have said, okay, at least there's something at the finish line that will change things over. Instead, there was no such announcement. And people thought the only way to vote out you know, a prime, a prime minister who might have been there too long in their eyes was to change parties. But they didn't want to change parties to the party that criticized them, which was the NDP, who went full-fledged with the orange signs that looked like stop signs. They voted in Trudeau, which looked fresh face and starting new, and the media had a side. And then the next election, they said, okay, well, let's give him another chance. But it was minority. And this election here, I think the tables have turned. He's now the guy that's been in power too long getting a lot of the votes for people who believe people shouldn't be in power too long. So I, I think, and, and in the recent polling is what, 74% believe that there should be a change of prime minister. So how does, how does that reflect, if it goes leader party candidate, how does that reflect the end result? Um, I mean, there's still time left. There's three debates, which by the way, Aaron O'Toole is so fluent in French that he was the interpreter for the Canadian military intelligence when it comes to French. He's not, he's going to be perfect in French. So there's no loss there. There's no weak spots there. As far as the PPC, Daniel, you are hundred percent correct. I think I usually am. Well, on the PPC issue, and I've said it as well, I think it's one of those things that look like, oh, it's a small fringe party. But last time it took away six conservative MPs. There should have been MPs. If you add those votes plus the PPC, which normally would have been conservative votes, they would have won. Instead, either an NDP or a liberal vote uh, candidate won. That's six. They were polling 2%. They're polling 5%, 6%. We're going to lose 10, 15. That's the whole ballgame right here. PPC are not going to win any seats, okay? But they're going to take enough percentage away just from one party. That's you know, it's it's nonsense to think they're taking NDP voters or uh, liberal voters. If they are, it's probably on a 10 to 1 to 1 ratio, okay? It is conservative voters. You could pretty well just take the whole number and add it in. Maybe there's like friends of the candidates or something like that, but it is significant. When Maxime Bernier left the party, I, I'm telling you, I was like, how is Andrew Scheer letting this happen? You're losing, you know, the guy pretty well was going to be leader of the conservative party. 
okay, up to the 13th round. It is that serious. So we're going to see what happens this time. And it doesn't matter that Maxine doesn't have a seat. The, the fact that his ideology of the People's Party is something that resonates with uh, right-minded, right uh, ideological spectrum-minded um, voters. And it's going to be 5 6%. And it's, it's enough to make it that the Conservatives either can't form majority or maybe can't form minority. Uh, I'm concerned about it. Dave, you wanted to jump in before we go to the local races? Yeah, I think I think Maxine probably has a chance of, of winning his own seat. He's probably the only one. I think you're right on that. Um, I think the voters, Al, you're probably right, are conservative voters or people that don't vote at all, people that 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 had no one else to vote for before this. Um, but you know, things things like Aaron O'Toole's recent um, statement that he's not going to interfere with abortion rights, and a statement that he's um, uh, go going to allow the carbon tax to remain in place is probably not helpful to his cause of shutting down the PPC. It's helpful to his cause of moving to the center where the votes are and trying to win. But it's a, it's a gamble that that may blow up in his face or, or may pay off. I guess we'll have to wait until election day whether or not the the GTA comes on board with um, Aaron O'Toole because those are things that are important to to those voters that are and i guess maybe the the irony about maxime bernier if is if if he had just kept his cool two years ago i mean then when they had the next leadership race i think he would have likely uh likely been next in line and you wouldn't have had aaron o'toole now maybe maybe he would have lost again or maybe that would have changed things uh vis-a-vis -vis peter mckay but um but it is kind of interesting i mean i don't think he's gonna he could win his seat um, but I, I think that the what's interesting about the PPC is they have a real issue this election. I mean, arguably, they have the only real issue that you that you identify to one party. Now, it only ties to, you know, six to 10 percent of the population. But they, they've got a real issue. They didn't have one last time other than just, you know, Mad Max being pissed that he uh, lost the leadership race. So uh so with that said, let's move into the local races. So we've got three exciting local races. We uh, we teed them up last time around. They are three rematches. I think that is the way that they are shaping up, but maybe some are getting closer, some are getting farther apart. I have not seen any local polling, so there's just sort of a gut feel that I think we each have as to where those races are going. So uh, let's go around the horn the other way this time. So Dave, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on the local races? I think, uh, let's start with Windsor to Chumsey. Because uh, I think that one is, is anyone could win. It, it's odd that you know Kathy Borelli, who just got in the race uh, after Rit dropped and finally is getting signs up now, uh, is in the running. But but you know last go around in 2019, we saw that it was a close three way race. Uh, every indication that I see on the ground is it remains a close three way race. Um, and so depending on how the national campaign plays out, I think it could go NDP, Liberal, or Conservative, which I wouldn't have said. Uh, even a few months ago, I, I thought for sure it would be solely a battle between Eric and and um, and Cheryl. It's not the case anymore. I think Eric will pull it off. Um, he's got uh, Warden McNamara out there um, on the campaign trail with him. Um, he has accomplished a lot. He's finally selling that, making that pitch now that he accomplished a lot in his short two years. So if anyone's going to hang on um, as far or anyone's going to win as far as the level goes locally, I think it's Eric. Um, Sandra, as always, is putting up a, a heck of a fight in uh, in Windsor West. Uh, if she does not pull it off, I don't think it's sand, a reflection of Sandra. I think it's a reflection of the national campaign. If she doesn't pull it off, but uh, she's fighting like like heck out there and has the best uh, shot of finally picking up Brian Massey. Um, sadly, I think if she does not, if she comes up short again this time, 
Um, she's she's probably done with politics, um, at least for a while. Um, and Brian Massey is probably there for life. This is the the last chance to finally earn the NDP in Windsor West. And failing this, it's Brian. It's Brian until the day that he he dies, I think, or decides to finally retire. But why would he retire? Um, he'll be like the next Herb Graves, who's there at ninety, just keeping uh, collecting. Uh, yeah, Brian's Brian's only halfway to uh, the number of years that Herb Graves served. So I, I guess that you know one thing the Liberals can't do is say, "Oh, you've been a lot around too long," because exactly. uh, their guy was around for forty years. That's no a good point, about. Daniel. They're not going to use that one. But this this goes back to what I said: leader party candidate. But in our region, we are so loyal to our MPs and MPPs. There's a mentality like, "Oh, that's their job. You can't take away their job. That's theirs." No, it's not theirs. It belongs to the people. You get a chance to select someone new every time there's an election. Kudos to Brian in, in, with regards. Sorry, Brian's got a machine. I mean, his signs are up quick. They got their locations. I mean, this is just second fiddle form. It's just, it's very hard to beat an incumbent with that much ingrained systematic experience already built in in campaign mode, not to mention that he sends his mail out from his MP's office, they time it perfectly. I mean, it's very hard to beat an incumbent like this. Yeah. Christine, any thoughts on the local races? Yes, well, I think uh, Windsor West is going to be interesting. It's, um, I think it is going to be pivotal if, um, uh, you know, if if there is a year that uh, that should test a an MP, it is a pandemic year, and we've had that, and um, so it'll be interesting uh, to see whether uh, Brian Massey uh, will will survive the you know just the 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 whole pandemic situation that we lived through. Um, I I think that uh, it'll be a three way race. The way I see it, I've seen uh, uh, signs a little bit everywhere, and what I've seen different from the uh, 2019 election campaign campaign is that there are lawns where you have more than one sign and so I say oh there's a house divided there's another house divided which is actually uh, I mean obviously a sign doesn't say how people will vote a sign is a sign and the vote can still change uh, the day of the election people do make their decision uh, but um, Still. There's a house. There's a house on Dominion that has two Brian signs sandwiching a Sandra sign, and I can see that probably there was the Brian sign up. Then somebody from the Liberals knocked the door, and they just said, "Yeah, whatever, put a sign up." Then Brian saw that. I'm sticking another one up too. Yeah. Did you see the one on Northwood in Dominion? They got one stacked on top of each other. Yes, it's just amazing. It's the first time I it, it I find it's really noticeable. A little bit everywhere you see these multiple signs on one single lawn. My, my experience is that often doesn't mean it's a house divided. That means it's just a passive owner that says you want to stick a sign up, go right. Yeah, go ahead. Someone's got to win. You owe me a favor. They got to. Someone... Yeah, yeah, maybe okay. that's all it is. Um, when Christine's but... done, I do want to talk about Windsor to come see. Yeah, we'll get back. We'll get there. And we yeah, still got so Essex think... as well. It, it might not mean anything, but it is something that I saw that is different from 2019. So it may be that, in fact, things are a little bit more, um, you know, there's more competition than uh, in 2019. And I certainly am, um, am uh, remaining optimistic for Anthony Orlando. All right. Well, let me give my comments and then I'll go to uh, Al if you want to talk. Well, if you want to respond or talk about Windsor to come see. So uh, starting in Windsor West, look, I think Sandra's putting up a valiant fight. I just don't see how she picks up votes or closes that spread as compared to 2019. You've got the liberal nationally trending down. 
the uh, NDP probably trending up. I just don't see how she bridges that gap. Uh, maybe she can do it. You know, she did start earlier and have a campaign two years ago, but I just, I don't see uh, that uh, happening, but I don't know. Essex, I really feel I have the least control, you know, the least knowledge of what's going on in Essex. I talk to people and a lot of, and I hear from people, oh, I think uh, Tracy Ramsey has it in the bag. She's getting her seat back. She, you know, she is more known. Chris Lewis was a little bit uh, invisible for the past two years. And then I hear other people saying, look, you know, Chris Lewis, I think has this in the bag. You know, you know, I, I, I don't see any risk for him. He did win. I think he won by about 5,000 votes last time. So that was pretty big. I, I think he has been you know, at least in terms of newsmaking, maybe he has maybe he has connected with his base, but he has been so, at least compared to Tracy Ramsey's four years or even the last two years, he has been somewhat invisible in the media. And so I don't know if that is a sign of his popularity in Essex or if that is just, you know, he's not playing media games and he sticks to uh, sticks to the base. So I really don't have much of a sense of what's going on there other than, as I said, if um, is it Beth Robe, uh, Beth, Beth Sharon, I think is running for the PPC. You know, again, if she picks up six, 7% of the vote, that is going to cut a significant chunk out of, uh, you know, out of people who I suspect voted for Chris Lewis last election. Um, coming to Windsor-Tecumseh, I actually think Windsor-Tecumseh is the most interesting race in, uh, in our riding. I think that Eric is an incredible, I'm a big fan of Eric's, I will put out that bias, but I think that that is a race that was 600 votes last time. And with the liberal national campaign trending down and the NDP maybe trending up, I mean, that's going to be a challenge. Eric has the benefit of incumbency, um, but you, you know, e even like last election, I, I think of the thing that stuck with people, which was probably that leaked phone call uh, from, from Cheryl Hardcastle trash, trashing electors. And you know that thing that kind of wears off over time. So I, I'm I think it's going to be very tight. I, I certainly hope Eric is reelected, but I think that he could lose that one with a you know with an up uh, upstart NDP campaign. One thing that I am somewhat surprised by out there is you know uh, as Dave mentioned, we've seen uh, Warden McNamara out supporting him. I, I think Warden McNamara is Eric's best surrogate. He was last election. He was not this election. The people who I haven't seen at all, and it's somewhat interesting for their own political interests. You know, I haven't seen um, I, I haven't seen Mayor Dilkins at all, and I understand he might wear different colors politically. But I would think that I would think that uh, Mayor Dilkins would prefer Eric to uh, Cheryl Hardcastle, and I haven't seen uh, you know Jew and Gill who lost the nomination to uh, to Eric. Um, two years ago. But the reason that I raised those is I think that they all, they have their own political interests that should be making sure that Eric stays busy with an elected seat. You know, I could see that if Eric was to lose, I mean, would he, would he want to come back and run and again in Ward 7 and take back that seat? If he did, I think Juwin would be very much at risk. Or would he want to run for mayor? And frankly, I think, I, I don't know that he would beat Mayor Dilkins, but I think he'd be maybe the one or one or one of two people that could do that. So if I were Mayor Dilkins or if I were Jew and Gill, I would be very interested in making sure that Eric, that Eric is busy for the next few years or at least through the next uh, municipal election. That's not to say that I think Eric is going to lose, but I think that this is an all hands on deck campaign and it's going to and it could be closer than the 600 votes last time around. Al? Well, as far as Eric, I don't think he's going back to be Ward 7 Councillor. I think if anything, he put his hat in the mayor's ring, but I think he's focused on federal politics, maybe provincial 
at the end of the day, it's a three-way race. But the reason it's a three-way race is because Kathy Borelli is a local Windsorite. It was very close that, you know, I know the timing of things, okay? Thank goodness we have a candidate in Windsor Tecumseh that knows our region, wasn't parachuted in, uh, super qualified, super, you know, experienced, well-educated. Um, you know, th this is the type of candidate that, again, when it comes to leader party candidate, this completes the trifecta. So uh, Kathy Borelli, first time putting her hat in the ring in politics, but doing extremely well, uh, very uh, I mean, wait for the debates. I mean, she's she's going to be very underrated, but she knows her stuff and she's very well spoken and she's very confident as well because of because of her knowledge uh, and her background on the community. And, um, you know, Leah DeMars was a terrific candidate, business owner. Uh, Kathy brings a lot of that with the family uh, side of things as well. Uh, I think she's the complete package. And, um, you know, pe people are very happy with Kathy's resume and her as the Conservative Party candidate for Windsor Tecumseh. And I'm glad it turned out that way. Christine? Yes, I'd just like to say that uh, really in that particular writing, which is Windsor Tecumseh that we're talking about, um, about 55% was the voter turnout. And so for eligible uh, voters, there were quite a few um, eligible voters that didn't come out. And uh, so the 600 vote, uh, I think you, uh, Daniel, you mentioned that it would be, uh, Eric uh, won by a margin of 600 votes. I think it's um, something to remember that there are a lot of voters to get out. And really, again, it will all depend on who comes out. Maybe in, in September, more people will come out than in late October. Uh, so again, um, there are votes out there that, you know, Parties need to go and find out who are who who are their um, supporters. And uh, as fifty five percent was already better than in previous uh, elections, certainly better than in the municipal election. But in this uh, federal election, I think post pandemic people should wake up and go and vote. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I, uh, I Al, I think that you're wearing blue colored goggles on uh, on uh, Kathy Borelli. I, I just I'm I'm not buying it. I, I think I think Leo DeMars actually ran an excellent campaign uh, two years ago. Terrific campaign. I want I was hoping he'd be the candidate again, but he he was in conflict. And then when that turned out he wasn't running, you know, Kathy put forward her application and it was stellar. Yeah, I just I, I mean, my recollection is that Leo got out pretty early last election and really put in the time and ultimately, I mean, Kathy was nominated with, you know, what, 29 days to go. So she does, she doesn't have the time. She, I mean, and she does, frankly, she doesn't really have the ties to Windsor. She lives in Windsor West. Um, her, you know, her husband was a, um, was a counselor in Ward 10. She doesn't live in Ward 10, but was as far to the opposite end of the city as possible. So, I, I mean, unless there is just the conservatives run away with it, I don't see her, I, I, I see that as a two-way race. And again, frankly, I, I think that Victor Green, I think has actually run a more noteworthy, he got out early, he ran in a, I think one of the most interesting things here is there was a contested PPC race between three or four people and the conservatives couldn't even find a candidate until seven days into the rent. So I'm not, I'm not buying it, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I'm just, I'm not buying it. So. Uh, any uh, any other thoughts on the local races before we take our break? 
Looking around the table, I see none. So we're going to take our break. Alan has to go uh, print some more money in this real estate game, but uh, stick around for the second half. And Dave and Christine and I will be around to talk about some more uh, local and maybe more election topics. And welcome back to the second half of Windsor's Inside Pulse. We're going to continue on with our, our discussions about uh, politics for a little bit longer, given the fact that we're we're deep into the uh, the midst of an election campaign. So it'll be myself, Daniel Abliser, and Christine Brooks uh, continuing to talk about these topics. Uh, as Daniel said before the break, I'll to take off and go print more money selling houses. So let's start with, um, thus far in the campaign, the big topic has been the various parties' housing strategies. And it's the Liberals that uh, that came out first. Uh, with theirs, which kind of got the, the discussion started about um, about what they're going to do in order to um, make housing more affordable for Canadians. And so uh, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau promised uh, a bunch of new measures to um, increase the supply of housing, make housing more affordable, um, help young first-time home buyers um, uh, save for and purchase their first home. And those things include things uh, such as uh, allowing for a new home savings account, which would allow Canadians to save up to $40,000 tax-free to uh, to buy their first home and doubling the home buyer's tax credit from $5,000 to $10,000 help cover things like closing costs. Uh, and so those are, are some of the things that the, the, the Liberals are proposing, um, but some of them, such as limiting the ability of foreign buyers to, um, to step in and, and buy properties, uh, things such as uh, taxes on underutilized, underused homes or having multiple um, investment properties may not pass constitutional muster. So those are some of the things that, that are problematic with the, the Liberal plan. Uh, but after the Liberals came out with this plan, then the Conservatives, uh, the NDP, uh, weighed in with their own ideas about what to do with housing. So Daniel, let's go with you first. What do you, what's your takeaway on uh, all the discussions around uh, the big election issue to date, which is the housing policy? Yeah, I think that the big election issue so far has really been this issue of affordability generally. And of course, we feel that most in housing because for most people, your home is the largest expense that you uh, that you have. And so in a place like Windsor, where the uh, average ranch in South Windsor has gone from being worth 150,000 bucks five years ago to 600,000, five or 600,000 bucks now, you uh, certainly feel that. I think that there's a lot to like in the liberal plan. I mean, there were there were a whole number of pillars to it. I think actually the most controversial is some of the restrictions on the real estate trade. It's interesting we got Al out of here before talking about this. So those include restrictions on blind bidding and things like that. Um, I actually wonder, I mean, I I question whether that's constitutional. That seems very much to be a, uh, in pith and substance, a, uh, a an issue that the province would be responsible for, for the feds to say, well, we're just going to criminalize having uh, blind bids. I don't know, I'm surprised by that. I also think that in countries where they have auction style, I think Australia, New Zealand do it. I don't know that it saves anyone any money. I think it might actually drive up prices. Um, I think that there, there are some good components to this, but, but I think the devil is really in the details. My view is that if you want to, if the feds want to focus on housing, what I would be trying to do, and I had a Facebook post about this a week or so ago, what I'd be trying to do is really focus on having homeowners owning single family, having the ability to purchase single family homes, condos, and things like that, and then trying to steer investment money into larger buildings, so apartment and multi-unit residential buildings. And I think that there are ways to do that through tax policy. 
um, both provincial federal tax policy in terms of income tax, but also provincial and local tax policy in terms of property tax. And I, I think that there would be a way uh, through tax policy to basically try to reserve single family homes for owner occupied homeowners and then steer investors into built, you know, ideally building more uh, multi-unit residential. And I think that the way that you would do that is you would limit through taxes the number of single family homes an individual can own. You know, um, Jagmeet Singh was out earlier in the campaign saying, we don't want a company, you know, a foreign company investing a billion dollars in Canadian housing. And I think he's half right. I think we don't want a billion dollar US company buying up all the single family homes and competing with, you know, the 30 year old young family who just is trying to buy a home. But I think that we do want them building apartment buildings. We need that because the alternative is that you've got to do social housing. And well, Jagmeet Singh might like, you know, government controlling all housing. I don't. So I think that there's ways to see, and I, the focus to me should be on tax policy that is going to basically deter investors from buying up single family homes and encourage them to build more multi-unit housing stock as rentals. So that's my view on, on where we're at with the housing policy. Christine? Yes, well, I'm going to look at the Conservatives uh, election platform uh, regarding housing policy because I think it's very exciting. One of the things that they uh, feature is to, that they plan to build 1 million homes over three years. And that 15% uh, of that will be possibly the conversion, of what they call um, repurposing federal buildings. I think that's brilliant. I think if we, um, we uh, commit ourselves to something like that, um, it is quite a bit more than we are used to building in, uh, in that time period. And, uh, and it is really putting to the forefront the fact that uh, there is an insufficiency of, uh, of housing, uh, an availability of housing. Um, the second thing is, I think that um, barring foreign investors, that's uh, something that conservatives are presenting in their platform as well as the uh, liberals. And um, I think it is the idea that, again, having empty homes and, um, the idea that uh, again keeping the affordability uh, you know um, just uh, having in, uh, causing inflation the fact is that there are um, there are monies out there like the euro that are valued very much more than the canadian dollar it's very high relative to the canadian dollar there are other um, uh, you know monies like that that have a very high value relative to the canadian dollar and so it becomes easier for foreigners to buy our, um, our properties and uh, to, to really be an inflationary, have an inflationary effect and also causing a shortage that way. So if that could uh, work and actually help uh, mitigate this, uh, this shortage, then it should be encouraged, but it, it should be definitely a temporary thing. And then, um, they, they also want to encourage uh, uh, the offering of seven to 10 year mortgages uh, and make tweaks to the stress test and insurance requirements to help people qualify more easily for financing. I think that's very important. Um, really anything that can help um, people to afford housing, really that's the bottom line. And I think their, their plan is, is uh, quite good. 
um, I think uh, also that we have to really consider um, having having areas that are that are much more diversified so that if you are in one part of town it's not all a very high end homes and in another part all very uh, well uh, say even a government housing etc I think we need to see this because the more we do that the stronger our society will be and the more that um, people will become more empathetic to the situation it also strengthens the um, the cities because people who are in low end jobs can remain in the cities where they are working in this is one of the great great problems in cities like la where people uh, who are working in uh, minimum wage jobs end up not being able to afford in paris as well afford um you know renting within the city limits and ending up having to to be two hours and four hours on various uh, uh, public transport systems. So this is why I think it's very important to deal with this, this problem and to make people more aware that, of, of, it, of it. Okay, so uh, you know, I think this is a, a topic that probably uh, got broad appeal right across the country. Certain election issues will only get you votes in one part of the country or another, but housing seems to be a concern right across the, the country and, and every region of the country, whether it's the far north or, or the Maritimes or BC or, or GTA or here in Windsor is important. Housing prices have gone up dramatically. It's outpacing inflation um, and, and people are, are all screaming about it. So I think it's smart that all the parties are focusing in on this and uh, hopefully people weigh the, the options and, and make their, their votes accordingly. So, um, the other hot topic recently has been the fact that, in my mind at least, I see Aaron O'Toole and Conservatives coming hard to the center. So, so Aaron O'Toole, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, courted the social conservative vote in order to win a leadership, uh, courted it quite well in order to win that, the, the leadership. And now he's come back to the, uh, the center where he's made the announcement just a few weeks ago um, that no abortion is never going to be an issue in Canada again. Uh, women's right to choose is 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 I'm not going to be interfered with by a government led by me. And then today, uh, coming out uh, basically saying the carbon tax is okay, which conservatives have been screaming about since since uh, Trudeau brought it in. So the um, the conservative plan on on uh, the carbon tax is is interesting in the fact that they refuse to call it a tax. Um, so uh, even though it's identical to what you know in many ways what the carbon tax is right now, uh, Arrow Tool is calling it a pricing mechanism. Um, so currently under the Liberal policy, 90% of the revenue is that's generated from carbon taxes returned to um, citizens by way of, of rebates. So they get, they get money back in their pockets, and the remaining 10% is directed towards businesses, schools, hospitals, and municipalities to help them with, with their costs of the carbon tax. So it's revenue neutral. So Ottawa doesn't keep a dollar now. Um, but Aaron O'Toole's plan touts the fact that the government's not going to keep a dollar with this pricing mechanism. Well, that's, that's already in place. But right now, Canadians get back money that they can spend on whatever they want. So the Aaron O'Toole plan currently is that there'd be um, this pricing mechanism, also known as a carbon tax, uh, which would be collected by Ottawa through things such as fuel. And then it would be put into personalized savings accounts for Canadians to use, but only on environmentally friendly purchases, such as buying a bicycle or uh, installing uh, new windows or a new energy efficient furnace. And so it's controlling what Canadians can actually do with that. So I'm not sure if it's going to be uh, any more popular or not. So, um, Christine, I'm not sure if you had a chance to even you know see the story today, but 
uh, as our conservative pundit, since uh, Al is gone from the show for this half, uh, let's go to you first. What do you think about the, the fact that conservatives seem to be coming to the center? Do you think it's a wise strategy or a bad strategy? And what, what's your thoughts on the carbon tax uh, endorsement by um, Aaron O'Toole? I think it's a very good uh, strategy. I think, uh, in fact, uh, it, it demonstrates, first of all, an evol evolution in the, the way of thinking. And uh, I hope that in all parties, people can evolve and can come to consensus at some point, uh, you know, in view of things that are happening around them and, and, and uh, things that are coming out, whether it be from uh, a scientific research or whether it be from uh, policymakers abroad. I'm saying that in particular because I just came back from Belgium and I was really impressed with, uh, they are really a little bit ahead in many, many venues with respect to, um, uh, to the environment. They, of course, are, uh, it's a very densely populated country. So the effects of uh, managing poorly your resources and having too many, uh, you know, disposable uh, plastics is just that much more evident. And they really have uh, come back on a lot of issues. But one of the things is an eco check and an ecological check is what my son received uh, and my daughter-in-law as well. They receive this every two years. It is a, a, a big sum and they can use it to purchase ecologically, uh, ecologically, uh, uh, well, things that are environmentally friendly. You should call so, them green food stamps. It is. It really is. It's, it's just really funny. I mean, it basically is. I was just very, uh, it was funny because I went to a, a, a you know, a, a, a organic foods place with my son and then he paid with his eco check, you know, and um, it was just uh, very interesting to see how it works. It's been working for several years, but it is something that has really gained momentum and People are happy with their, the choices and, and are becoming more aware of reading about, it doesn't mean that certain things, you know, that it, it, it's gone. Uh, Does that mean like in Belgium, you can buy like organic beers with, uh, with this Absolutely, check? I guess so, because they're around and I saw them. <laughs> and, um, and organic wines as well. Um, I think the gin was always organic, wasn't it? <laughs> so, you know, I... Uh... I agree with what David's saying. I do think that the conservatives are coming to the center a fair bit to the point that like, I, I don't know what they, you know, uh, O'Toole holds up this book of his platform. I don't know that anybody really is paying attention to what's in there other than a few people trying to, you know, attack him by saying, well, we did a skip search for racism and you don't mention racism. Yeah, I, I do feel like he's coming to the center and he's basically running on a we're running on Canadian value, Canadian liberal values, but I'm not Justin Trudeau. And that seems to be what he seems to be running on, seems to be working other than, you know, there's this question about sort of the, the far right or the farther right movement and are they gonna come home? And he's gotta figure out a way to convince them, yeah, if you vote for me, I'm kind of lying and I'm gonna do conservative stuff anyway. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it does feel like there's not much daylight in terms of policy policy right now, other than maybe the liberals are running farther to the left on certain things. Christine? I'd like to take issue on that because I really think that there is a fundamental difference between conservatives and liberals. And it has to do with uh, how much you trust the individual, <laughs> if you will, to do 
his own thing or give him the freedom to do well, his Christine, own thing. Well, Christine, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off, but we got to keep things moving. But if you trust the individual, why would you say that here's your, uh, here's your carbon tax account, but you can only spend it on certain things? That seems to be more right. No, no, a carbon, well, the, 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 the carbon, well, the carbon tax or whatever they're going to give you back is is going to be towards the environment and so those there are uh there are um companies and their products who are going to be uh you know they're champions because they are uh, going green they are being produced in a green manner and so they should be rewarded for that and that's the, the it, it it is based on a reward and a um uh, you know, uh, but isn't that isn't that a more regu isn't that a more regulated version? Of, it's a carbon tax, but it has a more regulated version. It says that you have to go buy Brussels sprouts rather than hockey tickets. That that's a that is more government interference. Well, the thing is that you are free to do with those those uh, dollars what you want. I guess if you get them, if that's in fact, I haven't read the whole thing, but if that. If you get these this money, you spend it on goods, and there are all kinds of goods you can spend it on. But they are uh, they have been they have been shown to. That's that's how it works now. Right now, you get the money and spend it on whatever you want to spend it on. So right. if you're, if you are environmentally conscious, um, you will pay your carbon tax like everyone else does, but you um, won't pay as much carbon tax. But you still get back money from the government on a per capita basis. So you get you get rewarded by paying less carbon tax up front and getting a bigger rebate on the back end than what you put into it if you're right. environmentally conscious. But the money you get, whether you spend a ton of carbon tax or a little bit of carbon tax, you get to go and spend it whatever you want to spend it on. On the conservative plan, you're gonna get money back into a personal savings account, but you only buy it on very- well, it's, it's more logical to me. I mean, obviously, since this isn't supposed so to- So what be you're saying, Christine, is more regulation is good. No, because no, because no, I I don't think so. It's uh, it's about the carbon tax. You were yeah, talking you about the carbon tax. A, uh... To make sense of a carbon tax, you need to have the incentives have to be properly in place. Yeah. So we'll if have to have a more philosophical thing... debate uh, one day soon about the difference between liberals and conservatives on this show. Um, but in order to, to keep things moving along, okay. um, <laughs> let's uh, let's turn now to, uh, in, in my mind at least, and you guys correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, because you've been involved in politics, both of you, for quite some time. I was involved in politics going back to the, the Whalen, uh, Susan Whalen days in, in Essex, helping on her um, campaigns when I was a, a teen. Um, and I don't ever remember um, protests being a thing or threats of violence being a thing. If they were, it was very rare and a few and far between incidents where it would come up. Um, but in the past, I would say 10 years, we've gotten a lot more divisive, a lot more like the, the divides we see in the states between Democrats and Republicans. Um, and so the, the big news story this week uh, was the fact that Justin Trudeau had to cancel a liberal event uh, due to the fact that he could not guarantee the safety of those in attendance due to uh, protesters who uh, appeared to be quite angry, violent, um, and death threats um, being uttered. So uh daniel let's go to you first on this one what are your thoughts on the uh on the protests that shut down the, the liberal event yeah my view on all protests is i think that people always have the right to protest where i draw the line is what some people call the heckler's veto i think that you are allowed to make your voice heard and let people know that you're upset what you don't get to do is yell scream and bang drums to the point that the person who is trying to speak doesn't get to speak and I, I think that that's where these people are crossing the line. I think that you're allowed to show up outside a rally or outside an event and make and make yourself heard. But then when they're trying to give their speech, you, you need to allow them to do that. Um, and, and frankly, you know, one of the ironies here is I have the same view when, you know, 
far left extremists often tied into universities pull this crap. And so you see, you, you know, you see, you see these people like chaining themselves to the doors of a Jordan Peterson lecture, or, you know, I remember when I was in law school, Ann Coulter showed up to, uh, to, to give a speech and I don't agree with anything Ann Coulter says, but I'll defend her right to say it. And of course that had to get canceled because you had these, you know, you had these people chaining themselves to the door and it became not safe. And so, I mean, there is a bit of an irony that the, uh, these sort of far right yahoos um, that sort of take that seem to take a bit after like the Trump yahoos are now forcing their way into these protests and using this heckler's veto, which I disagree with. Now, I think ultimately the politics of this is it's probably helpful to Trudeau. Um, and, and I think that the conservatives, I, I mean, the mainstream conservatives, Aaron O'Toole, I think is actually a little bit worried. Like, I need you yahoos to shut up. But ultimately, these people are probably voting PPC or somebody even more extreme right than PPC. Mm. And so, you know, ultimately, I think it's probably politically helpful to Trudeau. But my view is you're allowed to protest. You're not allowed a heckler's veto. And, and, and I think that that's what's going on here. And I think that's a problem. Christine? Yes, I'm saddened to hear that um, the, uh, the protests actually um, shut down the voice. Huh? Uh, that he wasn't able to have, make his speech. And uh, I, I had this same uh, thing happen at the University of, uh, of uh, Ottawa years ago when I was a student and there had been a, a speaker coming in. Again, there were hecklers and they just shut it right down. The person was not invited to come and speak on account of uh, the, uh, of, of the debates uh, that were going to, they, not being able to ensure safety. And I find that remarkable that uh, we are not able to ensure safety in the sense that um, get reinforcement, make people stay away and have it, the event go on nonetheless. I find that would be a stronger point in my opinion. I think it's sad that people who just disagree, yell loudly, get their way and don't and shut the person down so that they can't speak. Um, I, I, I'm flapped by it that in our, in our society, we let ourselves be taken down really by, let's call these people what they are, yahoos. I can disagree with someone. I don't have to um, make the noise so that they can't utter their position. And I think any, and they are yahoos, as, as long as people are no longer listening uh, to other points of view and to be able to learn, there we have a very big problem. One other point that I just wanted to hit on real quickly on this is, you know, one of the challenges I think for Trudeau is that he's getting, you know, harassed on this, but he is ultimately a white male. And, you know, I think back to some of the vitriol that Kathleen Wynne faced, and I, I think to a certain extent there was a sexism there, but I don't think it was entirely a sexism, but, there, but people who supported Kathleen Wynne were sure to bang the sexism drum. And, and I think what's interesting here is maybe some of the hatred against Kathleen Wynne wasn't sexism. It was just policy. And ultimately, these people here don't like Trudeau's policy, but he can't play the sexism or racism card because he's, an, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a rich white guy. Um, and, and so I think that's a challenge. They're actually trying to play the sexism card somewhat with that, uh, you know, the Willy Wonka thing and, oh, well, they feminized him. But, you know, my view is stick to the issues. Stop trying to play the, you know, the ism cards. Um, but that's a, that's a challenge here. Anyway, Dave? 
Yeah, I, I, and going back to your point about it being a politically beneficial, I think I think you might be right on that. I think this plays well for Trudeau in the last few weeks of the campaign, where he builds up some sympathy. Um, people uh, get concerned about the far right doing these types of things and maybe go back to the liberal camp uh, because of it. You saw a bump in his polls uh, when he had um, uh, the the individual. Uh, who ran the gates at uh, at uh, Rideau Hall, trying to get to Rideau Cottage to threaten him. Uh, you saw a bump in the polls uh, prior to him being elected when um, someone broke into uh, his house while he was away and left a knife out for his his wife to find. So you see you see bumps in his popularity when he faces these kind of threats. So it's politically helpful uh, to him, but I think long term it's very dangerous to the discourse we have in this country to be able to debate ideas openly and freely. And you're right, it's not just the far right. We've seen with the far left when Harper was in power. I disagree with almost every policy that, that Harper had. I, th I thought we're wrong, but I would debate those issues with my, my conservative friends. I wouldn't scream and shout and show up at a Harper rally and threaten to kill him. Um, I think that would be dangerous and foolish for, for all involved. Um, so, so, you know, hopefully we can get our acts together as a country, not turn into the, uh, the US on this and have uh, more peaceful and respectful politics that we're, we're used to long term. So with that said, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up our, our federal politics discussion for this week, there'll be more in the coming weeks, but uh, Daniel, why don't you take us through our, our last uh, two uh, brief stories, one dealing with a, a COVID, uh, interesting COVID story locally, and then um, uh, a shout out to a special uh, Windsorite Essex County uh, resident. Go ahead, Daniel. So uh, about 10 days ago or so, uh, Mayor Dilkins and Warden McNamara announced, uh, this is a COVID story. Unfortunately, we couldn't avoid the COVID stories, that the city and county were teaming up to launch a lottery program. Basically, if you get yourselves and your entire family vaccinated, you can enter into this lottery. You get a free ticket for this lottery. There were all sorts of prizes ranging from, what are we at, PS5s now? I don't know what the console system is now to... Uh, I think a, uh, a property tax waiver. So there's a whole slew of prizes that you can get. This is to encourage people to get vaccinated. I think that we're in about the 70% range, uh, mid 70 range uh, in Windsor and Essex County. And we're trying to get as high as possible. So the city and county governments are teaming up to try to uh, now move to some carrots as well as the sticks that we may be seeing, but some carrots to try to get people vaccinated. I have my thoughts on this, but I wanna hear from you guys first. So Dave, your thoughts. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that the prizes that are being offered. It seems to um, encourage a younger demographic to go out there, get vaccinated. And so I think it's smart in the city to pick these types of prizes, right? It's uh, those that are 30 or 35 and under who are, are the largest cohort who are vaccine hesitant. Those older seem to have uh, um, understood that vaccines have been with us for a long time, have been very helpful. And so they've, they've, gone, out and get they've gone out and gotten vaccinated already. So it seems to be aiming towards a younger crowd, which I think is smart to try to get those on board. Uh, so, so that's going the right direction. I, and I think you're right there. There are some sticks coming as well, which hopefully between the two of these, the carrot and the stick, we'll get uh, the number we need to get to to stop the spread of uh, COVID and the development of, of variants. So uh, it looks like vaccine passports are coming. It looks like vaccines were required to travel. So there's your sticks. And then on top of that, you have the incentive to, to win a uh, property tax holiday or some pretty big prizes. So. Christine, what's your uh, 60 or Dave, do you have anything else on that? Or uh, Christine, what's your 60 second hot take on this before we close the show out? Well, I, I have to say I, I'm impressed with the, the business uh, community for coming through. And, and I mean, the, the, uh, the prizes are worth over $200,000. 
At the same time, it's a, a little bit sad and lamentable that the, this group can only be uh, stirred into action by having these incredible prizes. And those who got vaccinated, the young people who got vaccinated earlier, I might be saying, well, I missed out on, you know, the law. No, I, I, I think that, Christine, just to be clear, the rule is going to be that as long as your family's been vaccinated, the whole household, you can put your ticket in. So it's not it's not oh, only I for see. new people, okay. it's for everybody. I thought maybe some some young people might, might say, oh, well, I got already vaccinated. What's that? So I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Because then it would be like the squeaky wheel, you know, the one who's the last, gets gets something special. So that's good. That's good. I think it was necessary to be quite honest. You needed to have a motivation for some people, a bigger motivation to um, to get them. I think there was, and I think uh, maybe particularly young people didn't see the need right away or earlier on were a bit hesitant uh, to 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 get the vaccine. The possible effects on uh, on various things they were thinking about and now they're they're they've been reassured so i think it's in all in all in all it's a good idea then to uh to get get us over that that magical cohort <laughs> to to be safe yeah, and i have to say there's the fourth uh wave i guess i disagree with you guys something in my gut just i don't like this i don't know what it is can't really explain it there's something to me about like Everybody having to give somebody a property tax holiday to get everybody vaccinated just doesn't do it for me. I don't know why. I think get your damn vaccine and I shouldn't have to pay your damn property taxes to get you to do it, Dave. I, I just love that, you know, people are vaccine hesitant saying, I'm not sure about this. I want more data to come in. But, well, hell, if there's a PS5 involved, I'll take my chance. <laughs> like that's It seems silly to me, but so be it. That's what it yeah. takes, that's what it takes. Anyway, the final story uh, of the day or the night, I guess, is a, I guess a bit of a sad story. Luke Wilson from uh, LaSalle, I guess, maybe not Windsor, but LaSalle, has announced after uh, about a decade-long career, largely with the Seattle Seahawks, but he played for Detroit for a year or two, that he has retired due to health issues. So he uh, he re-signed with Seattle about two weeks ago and a day or two later said, no, nope, my, uh, my body doesn't have it anymore. I am retiring. So congratulations to Luke Wilson on a great career. Windsor, I think, produces more uh, more NFL players than the rest of the country combined. Another great one in Luke Wilson. Congratulations to him for a great career. And frankly, congratulations to him for always coming back to Windsor-Essex and doing a lot of community events locally. So uh, so we will uh, give a shout, a, uh, a Windsor's Inside Pulse shout out to Luke Wilson as we close out this show. Now, with that being said, thank you once again for joining us on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Please remember to like us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Voting is already open, so feel free to get out to your returning office and go vote already. Uh, advanced polling is up in about 10 days. Uh, until next time, stay safe, everyone, and have a great week. <laughs>